This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Going to the lifestyles of the rich and supernatural this week. It's episode 454 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I'm going to tell you right now, a show that you're maybe not paying enough attention to is The Watchful Eye. It's going to be premiering on January the 30th with a double episode premiere on Freeform. It's got some supernatural aspects to it. There's a heist to it. There's the, you know, this, you know, rich high societies hype thing to it. There's so much going on with this show. So I wanted to get the cast on the show this week and the showrunner as well to kind of give you a better idea of what you can expect from this series. But let me tell you, I've seen some of these episodes already. And oh boy, I cannot wait to tell you more about this. Speaking of premieres, I'm also going to talk about the Wolfpack premiere from Paramount Plus. I'll do that. We'll also talk about the Poker Face premiere from Peacock. We'll do spoiler-free on that since they just landed. I'm not sure if you're waiting for the weekend to watch them or not, so I don't want to dump any spoilers on you. We're also going to talk about the fact that we're losing Titans and Doom Patrol at the end of this season. We have a new Lex Luthor, Critical Roles moving forward, and so much more to talk about this week. I also want to mention, if you're not subscribing to us on TikTok, make sure you do at Down and Nerdy Pod. I don't usually talk about this in the beginning of the show, but we're doing a lot of fun, different, unique stuff on there to just have a blast with these videos. Also talking comics on there as well. So make sure you're following at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok to be a part of that because it's, it's just been a blast to do that. But let's get back to the show because I want to talk about the watchful eye right now. We've got the cast and the showrunner to talk to next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
This is Elin Powell from Siren on Freeform, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Beware the mysteries of the Greyborn. The Watchful Eye premieres on Monday, January the 30th on Freeform with a big double episode premiere, premiere. And I was so excited to get a chance to talk to the cast and the amazing creators of the show about the mystery, the, the heist, the supernatural aspect of what's going on here. There, there's a lot at play here. Let me tell you, it's one of the reasons I think you're going to love this show. As a matter of fact, let's hear from him now. Marielle Molino, who plays Elena. Also have John Ecker, who plays Scott. And Aaliyah Royale, who plays Ginny. And if you want to get these three together, you're going to have a good time. You're going to learn a lot of stuff about this show. So let's hear from them. Hey. Hey, thanks for having hey. us. Thank you. How is everybody? Doing, Doing good. good. Excited. Ready. Fierce. You should be fierce because you're all fierce. And I was just telling them how much I love this show. My favorite new show of the year so far. Seriously, no, no lie at all. Just not just because you guys are here. I love the show. Love the <laughs> mystery. So Marielle, I want to start with you. One of the things I really love about Elena is that there's so many layers to her character. I mean, she's smart. She's resourceful. So many things. So what is your favorite thing about her? Mm, yes, I love to get to play the two sides of Elena, that duplicity. And the fact that she has to kind of wear a mask when she's in the Greyborn and she's the nanny for this very affluent family. And then she has this other side to her. She gets to live that double life. And I think what's interesting about the character is when these two lives begin to intersect and how that plays. So yes, that was really fun. (laughs) There's a lot of lives intersecting in this show for sure. And John, we know that Elena and Scott are more than just partners in this heist. We saw that we've seen that in the trailer. So how would you actually describe their relationship though? Because I think it's a pretty unique one. Yeah, it's a complicated one. I think they're still figuring it out. Hopefully they get a season two to figure out it a little bit better. Yeah, it's a little bit complicated. There's a little, little bit of uh, too much mixing of business and pleasure that makes it makes for a little bit of a toxic relationship. Yeah, it's an interesting road they got. It's funny. That's exactly how I felt about it, too. You hit the nail right on that on that one for sure. Aaliyah, I, I, when Ginny comes into the room, I feel like she just brings a whole different energy, not just to the show, but to the Greyborn in general. So we know some weird stuff goes on in that building so how much are we going to kind of learn about her backstory and why she just seems to be so comfortable there which is like how is that possible (laughs) i also experienced that i do i do love it about jenny she is very comfortable in this space i think she's been able to navigate it as this is my job this is where i work yes i live essentially in the attic but i think i think she has a clear line between business and pleasure until Elena comes along. Elena's this mysterious personality that that Jenny just really wants to get close to. And I think as Elena opens up more, Jenny thinks that she knows her. And with all the twists and turns that the show offers, I, I just think uh, their relationship gets more complicated as it goes on. But the one character that Jenny is definitely most comfortable with is the Greyborn itself. Yeah, no doubt about that. Now, we actually meet a lot of very interesting characters. In these first couple, a couple of episodes in the premiere, what some stand out a bit more than others. So, as Marielle, I especially wanted to, to get this one to you because how do you think your characters would describe Miss Ivy? Mm, cunning, savvy, ominous, and fiercely elegant. <laughs> what about you, Aaliyah? Because you, you've had some experience with her as well, Jenny has. Yeah, Jenny does not play when it comes to Miss Ivy. She's not about to play anything. <laughs> she's she's walking on all of the eggshells i think jenny just stares clear of mrs ivy entirely yeah that 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 probably sounds about right and john i guess it's lucky for for scott because he doesn't really have to be in those crosshairs at all but it seems obvious 
why Scott and Elena are targeting this particular family, but I'm sure that there's more to it than just, you know, taking from the rich sort of thing and trying to live a better life. So how much will we actually learn about the how and the why this plan was put together for the season? Yeah, there's definitely some some stuff that gets revealed throughout the 10 episodes um, that makes it a little bit more than just they want to get something or there's more to it why they want to get revenge on this family more than just a get rich scheme. Can't say too much more without throwing out spoilers, but I think they both have a kind of a certain history with the family that gets revealed throughout. No doubt about that. Some good backstory in these first couple of episodes too. So we, we've seen a little bit of the mystery of the Greyborn in the, in the trailer, so no spoilers there, but there's also some, some great moments in these first couple of episodes too. So to, to everyone here, how much did you all kind of get caught up in the mystery of this building yourselves while you're filming and even going through the scripts? Because it had to be intense for you guys too. Right up to the end. I mean, I was shocked with so many things that happened from episode five on, especially with uh, John's character. But there are a lot of shocking secrets that unfold that we were kind of learning as we went and going with it. And and I think that's what's so fun about filming a thriller is that a lot of times you don't really know and you you don't know who did it. So it's a little bit nerve wracking. <laughs> Because we all want to survive in a way, you know. <laughs> and they yeah. stuck you in the attic too, which is like the creepiest place of any building, anyway. And and, and now you're now you're all in there in the creepiest building in the creepiest possible place, right, Leah? That oh, hallway, yes. just being in the hallway alone. The elevator, honestly, itself was also terrifying. So many elements of our of our set was just a little too eerie. I think, mm-hmm. as far as the crew, our department set deck, I think they did their jobs a little too well because. It felt so very real to me in those circumstances, especially for my character. I was getting scripts, you know, episode by episode. I was not able to play the end before the beginning, and if, even if I wanted to, just because I was really going as I as I received information. So when you're living in that world of like getting information as you receive it, but also seeing these actual sets and living in those sets, it just it all feels very real, very eerie, very fast. And John, how aware is Scott even really of, of this building and, and the, the mystique behind it and all the craziness that goes on and other than what Elaine is telling her? Exactly. I don't I don't really until later on in the series get to experience too much of the building for myself. So I'm hearing it all through the grapevine through Elena. And I think, you know, a lot of it is you, you, I, I think she's a little bit crazy, a little bit stressed, making it up, a little paranoid. And don't really buy into it. So, there's a lot of gaslighting going on. Oh, there is. Oh, there's definitely a lot of gaslighting. No doubt about that. But, but Elena handles it well. She handles it very well. And we'll find out more about that when the Watchful Eye premieres. The double episode premiere, which I love, going to be happening on Monday, January the 30th. Going to be at 9 p.m. Then it moves to 10 p.m. It's regular time after that. John, Marielle, Aaliyah, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So let's learn a little bit more about this affluent family that we've heard so much about already. How about Amy Acker, who plays Tori Ayers on the show? Very, very interesting character. And of course, Warren Christie, who plays Matthew Ward, who you see a lot in this trailer and and what's, what's happened with his wife and what's going on with his son. And of course, if you want to learn all the dirt, you go to the right to the source, the showrunner, Emily Fox, joining me as well. Hey, everybody. Hi, James. Hey. Excellent, excellent. Yes. So, so Emily, I want to start with you actually because this show has a lot of interesting elements to it and such a wonderful cast. So, how are you kind of all able to balance the search for this treasure, the mysterious nature of the Greyborn, all these great character moments that you have, even in these just first couple episodes? 
So you thought we balanced it. I sure <laughs> as hell think you did. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing too. So like, I want to tell you it was super easy and that it like was <laughs> no problem. Um, it was fun. It was like, it was exciting. It felt like, oh my God, we're in completely uncharted territory here. I don't have a template to follow. I, you know, this is a mashup of genres and you know, I cannot tell you how many conversations we had where it was like, well, this, you know, are we leaning into the supernatural? Is this a fun show about young people? Is this like real estate porn? Is this a love story? And I was kind of like, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. And we will find a way to make it all weave together. And I think we did. And I think the idea was just to like rush headlong into it and say like, yes, it is all of these things. And it can coexist. Like this is a really big building. So like you can fit all those genres inside of it and a great, you know, credit to the actors for being so nimble and, and just kind of like letting us go to these places where it's like, okay, this is a party scene. Everybody's at a party and this is a scene. Okay. Now we're in a super spooky basement and now we're like, you know, now we're in the park with a bunch of kids. It's like, let's just do it. Let's just, let's try it and see what happens. And that was very, that's very exciting as a writer and a producer and as a viewer. You guys had me leaning so much my vertigo started acting up and it was great. I loved it. It's <laughs> awesome. You made great use of the space. Warren, I don't know, man. Do I, do, I, I want to trust Matthew. I want to believe he's this genuine good dude. He's just a good dad. He's mourning the loss of his wife. But who would you say is the real Matthew Ward or is that kind of up for us to decide as the season goes along? I think it's the beauty of, you know, this show is, you know, and, and the play that will happen as we go along with it is, I mean, we know what type of genre this is. It's many, but we know what it is. So you should mistrust everyone. And that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, the best way to, to kind of play with that is to just be as genuine as possible with what's going on in that moment. He, and he is a grieving father. You know, I mean, you know, he's a widower now, excuse me, he's a single father. And that's his sole focus. So I, I do believe at the core, that's it. As we go along, everybody's got secrets, everybody's got different things. And, you know, you put it in the backdrop of this uber rich world. And there's just so many things to play with. It's just too much fun. Oh, it's a lot of fun. And Amy, Tori's about as tough as it gets. I don't think I could ever remember you playing a character quite like her and all the stuff that I've seen you. And so what's it? What do you think really motivates her? And is it, is it best? What's for, best for Jasper? Is it what happened to Allie? Something else? What's going on with her? Yeah, no, it's it's very fun. Something very different for me. And I've had a lot of a lot of fun kind of diving into it. You know, I think what Warren was saying, too, about all the characters that you don't trust them all, but I think they all have something that they're fighting for. You know, Matthew's fighting for Jasper and Elena's fighting for what she's fighting for. I don't know if I'm supposed to give that away, <laughs> but, um, but Tori kind of has this sense of responsibility that she almost is the Greyborn, And so she's, she, it's all those things. She's worried about Jasper. She's worried about Matthew. She's worried about the money. She's worried about the Greyborn building. So She's got a lot, a lot on her plate and a lot, you know, you never know what people will do when they're fighting for stuff they believe in. That's a lot of stress that you, that, that's just put on her plate there. I almost didn't realize it. Even, I've already seen the first two episodes, didn't know, even realize that. And then you throw Elena into the mix, which is, which is a huge curveball. So for, for you, Amy and Warren, how do you think Elena challenges your characters in different ways? Yeah, I mean, I think she's really the catalyst to the whole story and the eyes and ears of the audience. So so Elena coming in for Tori is 
Whereas other people, Matthew may not see the red flags. I think all Tori sees is red flags. And she's like, who is this woman? Why is she here? Why is she in your house? Why is she any question she can come up and any way that she can try to get Elena to mess up is, is something that she's determined to show that she's right and that Elena is a problem. So, yeah. And I think with Matthew, like I was saying earlier, you're talking about a guy who's suddenly a single father trying to help his son heal. And so when he sees the connection she has, when he sees she's just different than everyone else that's come in and what she could offer, not just to Jasper, but to him, which is relief and maybe an opportunity for him to finally grieve, all these different things measured in. It's what Amy says. I think he overlooks a few red flags. He's, he's like a lot of us in life. We, we tend to see what we want to see. And because of that, you know, you've seen the first couple of down the road. You kind of see that whole world and how it all intersects. But she's just she's just this different breath of fresh air into not just their lives, but this whole building, which is set a very specific way. And it's just she's just she's just ballsy, man. She just comes in and she does this stuff. And I think that for Matthew specifically, he didn't realize how much he needed that until she came in. And now it'll all start to have its own set of consequences and changes, obviously, because that's life. But in that moment, it's it's almost like he's finally like, okay, maybe it's going to be okay. She's ballsy and she's quick. So that's definitely something yeah, that makes things very, very interesting. Emily, really quickly, I feel like this is one of those shows where you're going to see fans start to choose sides. You're going to see fans start to decide who they're going to be rooting for. Do you, so do you feel like the twists in this show will not only kind of keep fans guessing, but also questioning their loyalties with these characters as well as we go on? I'll be interested to see if people end up like choosing teams. And, you know, I think in, in a certain genre of show, like a certain kind of romantic show, you know, it's usually, is it, is this couple or that couple? What's interesting about this show is that it's, everything is so sort of like slippery and unpredictable. I think people will have to choose a different team at the end of every episode. And you can, I give everybody blanket permission to change teams as much as they need to. Because like, I don't want someone to like commit really early on and be like, I'm team Mrs. Ivy. And then be like, well, now I have to stick with that because I called it. You know, I think what's really exciting about shows like this is that like, you should feel a little bit like your loyalties are being tested every week. You as a viewer, where you're like, I love this person. This is the greatest person ever. They definitely are not secretly evil. And then you're like, next episode, that person is not even secretly evil, they're overtly evil and, and now I don't love them anymore. Maybe I do, I don't know. But like, I think it's, what was just fun was that like all the characters have so much depth and you know, a great credit to the actors for bringing that to each of them. And I think our objective was always to make, make you care about everyone. Even if you're suspicious of them, even if you think they might be secretly evil, like you should still, care deeply for them because like no one's just secretly evil for no reason there's always a reason and like you know excavating the reason was what we were after i i just hope at some point there's like t-shirts that are like you know team tori team matthew and i'm gonna have to get one of each and just cycle them through <laughs> so what you're saying is getting get your multiple hashtags ready for mm -hmm. the entire season because the Watchful Eye premieres double episode premiere on Monday, January the 30th on Freeform and it moves to its regular time, 10 o'clock after that every week. Amy, Emily, Warren, thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. James. James.
And I think what's really important is what Emily said there is how there's so many different things to love about this show, especially like if you're just a particular fan of like the thriller genre or the supernatural or or other things, you're just this, this rich society type story. It has all of those things, but it also has an interesting family story to it. It also has the interesting heist aspect to it. These interpersonal relationships that are just all over the place at certain times in such a good way. There's so many things to balance and juggle with this show. And yes, you'll be questioning your loyalties. And yes, you'll be just wondering what's behind each and every little door and when the thing's going to happen. And when it happens, you're like, that's not what I expected to happen at all. In case you haven't noticed, I'm pretty geeked about the show. And I've only seen the first couple of episodes so far. This is one that hooked me right away. That doesn't happen all the time. And I really hope you love it as much as I do. Make sure you're watching The Watchful Eye on Freeform and next day on Hulu too, by the way. But it premieres on Monday, January the 30th. That is a double episode premiere. So it's going to start at 9, regular time at 10 o'clock after that every week on Freeform. This is one I think you're really, really going to dig. Do not sleep on The Watchful Eye. Again, thanks to the amazing cast and showrunner Emily Fox for joining me to talk about The Watchful Eye from Freeform. Up next, hey, let's get to some more reviews, shall we? We'll start things off with Wolfpack from Paramount+. Plus. It premiered on Thursday. Going to do spoiler-free review, maybe drop a few nuggets, though, in there, too. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Chin Han from Ghost in the Shell, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. So many fans are already howling about it, so let's talk about it. Wolfpack has premiered on Paramount+, and the first episode dropped on Thursday. They're going to drop every Thursday by the way, so I still want to do this spoiler free since it just came out. Maybe you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. You're saving it for the weekend. So going to do some spoiler free thoughts on this premiere. And basically, you've seen the trailer. We've talked about the trailer before. These these teenagers have their lives changed forever. There's a wildfire in California that sort of awakens this kind of terrifying creature. Spoiler alert, it's a werewolf. I don't think that's really that much of a secret based on the title of the show and, and the fact that we've kind of seen a little teases in the trailers as well. And yeah, the full moon rises and stuff really, really starts to happen. And there, there's some mystery elements that, that start off in this first episode. There's a lot of question marks and, and some of those do surround Sarah Michelle Gellar's character of Kristen Ramsey. She's the investigator on this case. She tends to definitely know more than she leads on in the early going. It seems like she's got a little bit of inside information somehow as to the fact that this might not be your normal case. But it, what's really interesting is is that, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar's the name that puts the eyeballs on the screen, right? 
that's a name that a lot of fans are going to gravitate to because of the you know the Buffy connection and things like that. She just tends to draw an audience. But the center is really around this young cast, especially you meet Everett, who's played by Armani Jackson. You meet Blake, who's played by Bella Shepard, very early on. And it's very much a high school-like atmosphere. They're all on a bus. They're coming back from a field trip or going to a field trip. I can't remember which. And, you know, it's your typical teenage, you know, drama. And they're being jerks to each other and things like that on the bus. And then all of a sudden, this you see this fire break out. And it starts to get very Lord of the Flies very fast. Okay, and there's, there's animals running around everywhere, too. And, and Blake is very standoffish at, at first when we meet her. But not in an off-putting way. I talk about this all the time, about how characters have to be likable. And she puts up this unlikable front. But the difference here in how this character is presented, and I want to talk about Blake specifically for a second because this is a trap that shows like this can fall into really, really quickly. This one didn't. They could have made her very unlikable. What they did was make her seem unlikable. But right away, like right away, you know it's a front for something. You know that this is a front. Part of it is because of some of the backstory that we learn about her, some some you know examples of showing us that she's got a kind heart and things like that, and that's shown right away. They could have really trashed this character and ruined her from the very beginning, but they did not do that, and I thought that was such a smart choice because she's clearly going to be a very, very important part of the story and maybe one of the favorite characters of fans as we get going here. And then Everett is this very you know, unsure. He's almost like he got these, he's got anxiety issues and things like that. His parents are very interesting characters indeed. in all of this, and you just sort sort of start to see, you know, how their stories kind of start to come together a little bit. They, they each have some things that they have in common that they might not realize that they have in common, but they also balance each other out in very interesting ways. So when they meet on the screen together, even in the early going, you could tell that there's just a little bit of a chemistry there and something that works for them as characters on this screen together. And then you also have on the other side of things, you have Luna and Harlan Luna played by Chloe Rose Robertson and Tyler Lawrence gray who plays Harlan. And you know, right away again, that there's something different about them, but there's a difference between these two pairs. And that's something I don't really want to give away because that is a spoiler in this episode. But again, there's some commonality there for certain reasons. And we get to the, the, the family dynamic is kind of what ties in, ties them all together into this whole thing. At least I think it does is as far as, you know, something that everybody can bond over sort of thing. Now they all have their different reasons for having said drama, but again, you know, the ties that bind sort of thing. So I thought the way that they kind of put these characters together was a very, was a very, very smart way to do it. And the way they presented these characters and the way they gave us a little bit, not a ton, but enough to get invested in these characters in just one episode. And when you're talking about a a, a quadruple grouping here of characters, that's not an easy thing to do. We do meet some other faces in this thing as well. But the one thing that, you know, you're, you're wanting a show like this and you look at in a show like this is your, is your monsters, your creature. Do you get to see a werewolf in this first episode? And I will tell you that, yes, you do. You do get to see the werewolf and a, the character design for a thing like that absolutely has to work in a show like this. It, it is a must. There's two things that are a must in shows like this, the actual werewolf itself and the transformation scene. Those are two things that they have to 100% get 
get right in this show. Now, I will tell you that the latter you don't see. At least I don't remember seeing it. Not in full, anyway. Not something that's going to really be like a full transformation that you get to see on the screen. But those are two things you have to get right. But this character design for this werewolf, I thought that they got very much right. You don't necessarily always get like full looks, but you get just enough to give you that, you know, eye-popping moment as a viewer where you go, okay, that's what they're going to look like. Wow, but is that what they're all going to look like or is that this particular werewolf and how they're going to look like and why they look the way they do? Why are they acting the way that they are and certain things like that? And how does this all tie in to the fire? And oh, by the way, let's not forget about the fire because the whole backdrop of this show is just, it's breathtaking in the most tragic way where you've got these wildfires, this wildfire, which is very common in California. It's very much a relevant topic for anybody that lives in California. And you, you hate to say that, you know, you're used to that sort of thing when you live in certain areas of California, but the, there's there's commonality there. And, and that's something that you kind of always have to be on edge about, unfortunately. And that's a part of this story. And, and just to see that backdrop is a little bit heartbreaking in general. But the way it's presented is... You know, it's got that big budget feel to it for sure. So that really, really grabs your attention early on. And it becomes very much a part of the story, not just because of the who done it, but because who's kind of in it, who's who's really on the ground trying to not just figure out what's happening, but stop the thing in the first place. So that that's also a part of the story that you can't just push aside. So there's two really good elements to this thing right away and it all ties into this this really good character work that you have and when i watched the first episode again for the second time i i I just found myself liking it even more so go ahead give yourself a couple of shots at this see if you see it differently the second time than you did the first time but this is definitely one that lives up to the hype lives up to the expectation because i feel like there's a lot to look forward to in this show and this, especially at the end of this first episode, it, it very much creates the, okay, here's where we're going from here sort of thing. So that's another thing you need to do in a show like this. You need to tell me, okay, where am I going? Where is this going to start? And you have to give me a reason to want to come back for the second episode right at the end there. And the, and the hook is definitely there for this show. Wolfpack, make sure you're watching it every Thursday on Paramount+. Plus. I think this is going to be one that we're going to be talking about for a long, long time. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Wolfpack. Up next, we'll keep things spoiler-free when we talk about Poker Face from Peacock. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blindspot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. No lies here, just the straight truth about the new series Poker Face from Peacock, which is now streaming, and actually the first batch of episodes just dropped this past Thursday. And again, spoiler free here since it just dropped. I don't want to spoil anything, but this is from creator Ryan Johnson, of course, from Knives Out fame and many other things. And, you know, that's going to make a lot of people want to tune in to the show. And rightfully so. It's It's got a good cast as well. And it's got a, there's a very interesting premise here because Natasha Leone, who you know from, from Russian Doll and many other things, she plays a character named Charlie who basically has the ability to determine whether or not somebody's lying, which you could see how that comes in handy, but you could also see how that is a very, very dangerous thing as the show goes on. In the very first episode, it sets up not necessarily what's going to be happening throughout the entire season, 
but it gives her the reason to be on the run. Let's just put it that way. It, so the, the very first episode really sets the tone for not just Charlie's character, but for why she's doing what she's doing, basically. And, and it kind of how the first episode really kind of transforms her as a character as well and almost gives her purpose in a, in a really weird way. Not that she didn't have purpose before what happens in the first episode, which I'm not spoiling, but because it, it, maybe motivation is a, is a better way to put it. But there's also a reason why she's got to hit the road and, and go as far away as possible. I will, I will tell you that much. But what's interesting about this show is that every stop that she makes, she meets a different cast of characters and there's a new thing that she kind of gets wrapped up in and decides to insert herself into the situation. So there's always a new, uh, I don't want to say case to solve because it's not really a procedural because she's not a cop. And that's what makes this interesting is that she just kind of decides that she wants to help certain people along the way because she feels like it's the right thing to do. And part of that is because of what happens to someone very close to her again in the first episode. But by the way, she's also being chased by a bunch, by a group of people who want her dead for a very good financial reason. Let's just put it that way. I mean, there is a gambling aspect to this whole thing. So maybe you can kind of put the pieces together a little bit from what I'm saying and from the trailer that's already come out. So, and again, the one thing that that's, kind of important about this show though and what makes the first couple of episodes oh so important is that because the story is very much there there's a centralized story but there's also a side story to every episode it seems like in this show so you kind of have to be invested in the character of charlie and some of the other characters as well to really really get hooked on the show. Like if you love Natasha Leon and stuff that she's done in the past, you're going to love this because this character is very much like some of the characters that she's played in the past attitude wise. Charlie is a different character than we've seen her play in previous shows, but attitude wise, this is a very, very similar character and how she presents herself. And, and there's just a very, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say retro feel to, to her, but maybe it's because of the Plymouth she drives or something like that. But it, it feels like, Natasha Leone always has this retro vibe to her and this very relatable vibe. And Charlie certainly has that. But oh, by the way, she also has this special ability to try and figure out whether or not somebody is lying. But I actually kind of think that meeting a different cast of characters everywhere she goes kind of works for this show. And you get some really good guest stars along the way. I mean, Ron Perlman's in this thing. We see Adrian Brody right away in the first episode. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You see a lot of Benjamin Bratt. In this show, I mean, I could go on and on about the amazing guest stars that this show has, and maybe that's credit to Ryan Johnson. Everybody wants to work with Ryan Johnson. So that's something that will definitely pique your interest, and you'll see some actors that you've seen in, in roles that you wouldn't normally see them in as well, stepping outside of their comfort zone a little bit. So that is certainly fun. But again, yeah, if you love Natasha Leone already and stuff that she's already done, it's not going to be a stretch that you're going to like this show. But if, if you're not, not too familiar with her, you're just checking it out because of Ryan Johnson or whatever. And, and this certainly does have Ryan Johnson vibes of other stuff that he's done. Is it Knives Out? Ask. Kind of. I don't know that that's fair to say. I think that there's certain elements of it that are. But if you're gonna if you're tuning into this thinking it's going to be just like Knives Out, I wouldn't go that far. 
I definitely wouldn't go that far. But it's it's definitely a character-driven show. Whereas where if you like the character of Charlie immediately, you're going to love watching this show every week and every episode. There's just no question about that because you're going to want to see not not just what kind of trouble she gets in, but how she gets out of it and how she manages to help whoever she's helping along the way. So that's kind of where this show lives. And I still haven't kind of made up my mind because I'm only a few episodes in. Didn't binge the whole season yet, even though I you know I get these episodes early, obviously, from Peacock. I haven't had a chance to go through the whole season yet. Is every episode a winner for me? There's some episodes that are that are better than others for me. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I'm not quite in the middle either. I'm leaning towards loving it more as I go along here. But, but again, I feel like this is one where I also have to see the conclusion to this larger story too and how this is going to play out. So Poker Face is definitely one that I haven't shown my hand on yet. So I have to, I'm just like you, I'm going to wait and see how I feel, but make sure you're sharing your thoughts with me as well at down and nerdy seven, five, seven on Twitter. Cause I'm very interested to see what you think about this thing. That's going to do it for my review of Poker Face from Peacock up next. Yeah. Some kind of not so great nerd news. If you're a fan of doom patrol and Titans and other DC things, and we'll talk about it next on the down and nerdy podcast. This is April Bowlby from DC's Doom Patrol, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The changing of the guard continues in the DC universe. It's time for nerd news, and I want to talk about the original DC Universe shows. Remember the DC Universe subscription service where you get the comics and all kinds of TV, movies, things like that? And then you had your original series that were scheduled for DC Universe. You had Titans, Doom Patrol... Young Justice, the Young Justice revival that came back. You also had Stargirl. You had Swamp Thing. And I think that that's all of them that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Now, pretty much all those, we don't know about Young Justice yet, but all those have gone by the wayside by this point. But now the final two standing are finally going to end. We found out this week that Titans and Doom Patrol will both end with their fourth season's on HBO Max. A couple of notes here is that yes, Titans will finish off its season on uh, the second half of the season. So don't worry about that. That is going to still have its conclusion. Also, they knew about this ahead of time. So they were told the right proper endings for the series, whether or not you think that's possible. We'll find out here in just a second. I'll talk about that in a minute. And also don't blame James Gunn for this because he's already gone on record as saying this was not his call. This call was made before he was brought on. He had nothing to do with it. Now, would he have the power to save it? I mean, maybe. So let, let's start there. Let's just start there for a second before I dive into to how I feel about these two shows. Would he have had the power to save it? I think probably. If, if I'm being honest, probably could have. But when you're basically brought in and said, hey, we need you to redo this entire operation. And that's kind of why he, he and Peter Safran were brought in, right? To, to kind of redo things, you know, find out what's working, what's not, and come up with a whole different idea, a whole different direction, because clearly the direction they were going in wasn't working. And if they wanted to connect everything, fine. If you're going to do that, can you really hang on to these shows? Probably not, because then you're having to find a way to fit them in, and you're still holding on to an old continuity that you pretty much have admitted hasn't been working so unfortunately one of the casualties when you do things like that is losing stuff that might have been working just because it's not going to fit in 
to this new ideal. But again, not James Gunn's decision. But, you know, to, to save these shows, I don't know that that would have really made a whole lot of sense. And part of the reason for that is, if we're being honest with ourselves, the promotion from HBO Max for Titans and Doom Patrol hasn't been stellar since season two of Doom Patrol. And I guess last season they did okay with Titans. But I'll be honest, even in doing this and being plugged into all press releases and all, all kinds of things like that, I basically didn't even remember that season four of Doom Patrol was premiering until it was right on us, like right on us. I'm like, how have I not seen anything about this? There really wasn't any trailers, any hype, none of that for Doom Patrol season four. At least I don't feel like there was. You know, there was some social media stuff and little winks and nods here and there, but it feels like the promotion would was bigger in previous seasons of Doom Patrol. Titans, it was a different story because you had different character reveals that they were coming out with and things like that. You know, introducing Brother Blood and and other characters into this season, you know, what they were doing with Raven and, and all that. There there was stuff to there's more stuff to announce with Titans, I guess. So it keeps us it fresher in our heads. But with Doom Patrol, it's just the you know, the crazy, wacky, lovable show that, you know, and there's a reason that fans love the show, not just because of the great casting, the great writing and everything like that. It's it's all of those things. It's all of those things wrapped into one. But it feels like they forgot about it. I don't know why that is. And it's not like this season hasn't been good. It has. Same with Titans. These are good shows. The problem is, is that they're just not going to fit into this new plan. And quite frankly, they got four seasons. Four seasons is a decent run. Would I like to see Titans continue? Because I think they've got a good thing going. Yes, but tonally, does it fit with what they're going to be doing going forward? I don't know. Doom Patrol, I think, can exist on its own. That's one show that I think, outside of everything else, no matter what you're doing tonally, whatever, what your vision, what your vision is, how often are you going to use the Doom Patrol in the grand scheme of things anyway? And that's not a knock on those characters. It's just facts. So I don't know how, how often you're going to go there. So you could certainly keep them around, but is it time for their story to end? Maybe. Is there a ton of story left there to tell? Just because something's still good doesn't mean it needs to continue because there's something to be said for going out on a high note, right? You could, there's any number of examples of shows that went on a little bit too long of movies that got an extra sequel sequel that you kind of wished it didn't when you're going back and looking at things. So I think that ultimately these ending is probably the right decision. And I, and maybe what you're going to come at back at me with as is okay. Well, what about Sandman on Netflix? You know, that's going to be sticking around. Why not mess with that? Why, why don't you have to cancel that again, existing in its own space for one thing. And two, it almost feels like Sandman is a universe unto itself. I mean, they even did that in the comics. They had their own Sandman universe for the comics at DC, right? So it's almost like its own imprint. That's what they're kind of going with, with Sandman. Will that continue to be the case going forward? I think so, probably. So that's one that you can just ignore and let it be what it is. Because they did that with Vertigo years ago anyway. It's not like a whole, there was a whole lot of Vertigo crossover into the DC Comics line years ago. You had characters that made their way over now and then. And cer- certain characters like Constantine that kind of went over permanently for a while. You could say that the same of Swamp Thing and some others, but ultimately that's kind of what happened 
with some of those characters. And Dead Boy Detective apparently is still going forward, but again, Sandman universe sort of stuff. So that's why you can sort of excuse that. You could use almost the same excuse for Doom Patrol. They're just choosing not to. And, and I'm sure the budget probably has a little bit to do with that. But now also this opens the door for Brendan Fraser to come out. And by the way, he corrected that, by the way. So that's, that's the way to say it. He corrected that in a video recently. So Brendan Fraser, that opens him up to come play another role in the DC universe and with DC Studios going forward. So that, that I'm happy with. Matt Bomer, same thing. Matt Bomer is a sleeper candidate for Superman quite frankly, especially if you're going with a younger Superman. Now, Matt Bomer's not a young guy per se. He's not an old guy, but he's not a younger guy either. So I guess young is subjective here. Like how young do you want to go? But I always thought that Matt Bomer could be a good Superman if given the chance. And clearly he is a talented actor that is very, very capable of playing that role. And he's only a couple years older than I am. He was born in 1977. So, I mean, again, depending on how young you want to go, maybe they want to go younger than that, but we won't know until they talk about the slate coming up. But again, sleeper candidate for me, for Superman. So it opens up a couple of really good actors to do other things with DC Studios. So again, I I am sad to see these shows go. I really, really am. But in the grand scheme of things, it's probably for the best. Too. Just let them focus on what's going to be new going forward. Just like putting out these last few movies like like Shazam, which I'll talk about in a second, and Aqu- the, the next Aquaman movie and the Flash movie and all these things. It's you, you, you got to because they're done sort of thing and you don't want to just throw them away entirely. And it, But it's also you know kind of like a good way to say goodbye sort of thing. So you know we'll see what happens with some of these characters and if we'll see them again in the future. Speaking of shows that are kind of still around, Superman and Lois certainly going to be coming back in March on the CW, and it will have a new Lex Luthor when it does. Entertainment Weekly was the first to report that Michael Cudlitz is going to be the new Lex Luthor in this upcoming season. You might remember him. He was in The Walking Dead. He was on that cop show Southland on TNT for a while. And yeah, he's going to be playing Lex in this upcoming third season. And basically, this Lex has been you know out of the public eye for a while. He comes back, he's got some personal injustices that he wants to clear up, and he thinks that Superman and Lois are basically responsible for that. So it sounds like, anyway, that Lex is going to be a pretty big part of this third season, although, you know, we don't we didn't see him in the most recent trailer. That doesn't mean he isn't going to be a big part of things going forward, because you had to make this announcement before, you know, you, you could really put him in a trailer, right? That would only make sense. Is he the main villain of this season? It doesn't say that. It doesn't, you know, hint to that. But that doesn't mean that ultimately, because, you know, very much like we've seen with Yabard Thawne in The Flash, is that ultimately it always seems to come back to somebody, right? And Lex Luthor is just that kind of villain, where no matter what's going on, no matter who's responsible for what, or what the big bad might be, or who the big bad might be, it always comes back to somebody. And Lex could easily be that person, in Superman and Lois once we see him back. Am I going to miss John Cryer? Hell yeah. I think John Cryer did a fantastic job as Lex Luthor. And I was one of the first ones that came out and said, yeah, you know, I don't know. I really don't. You know, John Cryer is Lex Luthor. Because, you know, we haven't seen that kind of thing from him. And it worked so friggin' well. And I was so, so happy to be super, super wrong about that. So, and I think Michael Cudlitz is actually a great choice for Lex Luthor. 
he's got an edge to him. And he's certainly got a toughness and a bravado that you can bring to the role of Lex Luthor. Does he have the finesse of Lex Luthor? Can he bring that a little bit? Because you, you have some of that and, and even, you know, a hint of charm. Can he bring that to it as well? Because Lex Luthor is not just a bull. I think he can. I think he's got that kind of range to be able to do that sort of thing. But he will be a menacing Lex Luthor. There's no doubt about it. Now, again, is this a show that's on borrowed time because of everything that's going on? Maybe. This is also a candidate for a show that I think could move to HBO Max at some point in the grand scheme of things. Could this be a one and done? I don't know. But if you get offered to play Lex Luthor, even if it's for a season, you take it, right? You'd absolutely take it. Plus, if he nails it, a la Matt Ryan playing Constantine in the Arrowverse, then this is something that could certainly continue for him at some point in in some way, shape, or form. So I think this is something easily you have to look forward to, right? Just because bringing Lex Luthor in finally to Superman and Lois makes so much sense. And, you know, unfortunately, just, you know, you fall in love with one with one person's portrayal. You want that to continue, which is understandable. But, you know, again, not very realistic in this particular shape or form, especially since they're distancing themselves from the Arrowverse. So, yeah, Superman and Lois coming back in March, and I can't wait to see what Michael brings to the role. Speaking of roles, Critical Role, we know it's continuing on Prime Video. Legends of Vox Machina is, you know, basically back on Prime Video for a second season. But Prime Video wants more Critical Role. Amazon Studios just announced... An overall deal with Critical Role, first look stuff for you know shows and movies and things like that. And they've also announced their next series is going to be Mighty Nine. Now, if you're not familiar with this campaign from Critical Role, and I'm going to take this from the press release here, it follows a group of criminals and misfits who are the only ones that can prevent the kingdom from plunging into chaos when an arcane artifact capable of reshaping reality falls into the wrong hands now production is going to begin soon that's what it says and of course the show going to be available on prime video and so on and so forth if you're a critical role fan you're stoked for this you are stoked for the possibility that amazon sees the vision that so many fans have seen for critical role and and they're going to be bringing it to life with more than just vox machina it's going to continue with mighty with mighty nine and so many other things. And quite frankly, I know that there's the critical role has a huge following and rightfully so. But there are also some fans that just aren't familiar with these stories. And their first introduction to Critical Role was that Vox Machina animated series on Prime Video. And that will continue maybe with Mighty Nine. And certainly I would think that it would. So just opening your you never want to think that you've capped your audience is something I've always believed. You never want to think that you've reached the maximum amount of people that you've reached. And that, and this is a perfect example of that for a critical role. They want to reach more of an audience. There's no question about that. And of course, you know, this is a, you know, pretty I'm sure a bit nice fat paycheck as well, but you want to be able to tell your stories in another medium if you get a chance to do so. I think that that's a thrilling thing for any creator. I think any creator would tell you if they had the chance to adapt something in a different way that they would do it if it was going to be done properly. And when you sign a deal like this with Prime Video and Amazon Studios, you, you kind of already got that comfort level there and knowing, okay, they can tell the stories that the way that we've always wanted them to be told. We have the confidence that this will be done well. So let's partner up and do this thing together. Especially since it was like, it's almost like Vox Machina was like the test to see how that relationship would go. And when it went as well as it did, 
they were like, okay, yeah, let's sign up long-term. Let's do this. It's almost like Amazon Studios had this in the back of their head the entire time, just wanted to see what the reaction was and if Critical Role really was as big as it seemed like it was, and it is, by the way. So, yeah, they went ahead and did this. So there was a little bit of a teaser that I put up at, on our on our social media pages at Down and Nerdy 757. Yeah, I'll get it up on downandnerdypodcast.com as well if you want to go ahead and see it. Very much a teaser, though, with voiceover and stuff. Didn't really hint too much as to character designs or anything like that. It just gives you kind of an overall tone and a logo for the Mighty Nine series. But this is something to be very excited about, I'll tell you right now, because fantasy storytelling from Critical Role has been off the charts good for years now. And this is just going to continue that. I think so. Very excited to see what the future of Critical Role and is on Amazon Studios and maybe not just on Prime Video, maybe someday on the big screen as well. I think that would be super, super exciting. I do want to talk about a couple of trailers. Harley Quinn Valentine's Day special, which is going to be coming to HBO Max on February the 9th. And everybody's, you know, looking for love and getting it on and all this other stuff. And I mean, the, the clay face scene alone. And and we're going to talk about some self-love here. You know, not TMI or anything, but Clayface reenacting that scene from Ghost, I think that's going to be freaking hilarious. And I I can't wait to to see what the rest of that's going to be. But you've even got Bane that's looking for love here. You've got Darkseid, who seems to have found his soulmate in this thing. It's, It's crazy. And then, of course, you know, Harley and Ivy having very different views on how to celebrate valentine's day and a shall we call it climactic event that we see at the end of the trailer there that kind of whips the entire city into a frenzy it just looks like it's going to be fun and bonkers just like we know from the harley quinn animated series on hbo max you know just with a little bit more loving thrown into the mix and there's nothing wrong with that but these special episodes of harley quinn have always been fun have always been good i can't wait for this one come out on february the 9th on HBO Max. Going to talk about another DC trailer. I wanted to talk about the second trailer for Shazam Fury of the Gods. That movie, of course, coming to theaters on March the 17th. I wanted to do that because we get a more of a clearer picture of what we're dealing with here. And that's basically that it's it's several years later after the first movie. We, can, we've, we know that from this trailer now for sure. And basically the gist, and we're going to go with the gist on this, is that the daughters of Atlas have arrived in their past. They don't want... They feel like that Billy and his friends stole the powers of the gods from them and they want them back and they think rightfully so. So you've got Hespero, who's played by Helen Mirren. You've also got Lucy Luz Calypso that's going to be a part of this as well. And you see the very interesting chemistry that Zachary Levi and Helen Mirren have in these scenes in this trailer. And again, Zachary Levi, if I was going to keep anybody from the old DC movies to stay in their character and play them going forward. Zachary Levi and Shazam is another one. I would absolutely 100% keep him as Shazam because he is, he is Shazam. Like he is Billy Batson. He really, really embodies the character so, so well. And you want about, you want to talk about a charming and fun movie that that is the Shazam movies, but this one definitely looks like it's going to be a little bit more, on the serious side as well. And there's there's nothing really wrong with that because the stakes seem a little bit higher in this movie as well. And you kind of see everybody loses their powers at some point. Even, you know, Billy loses his power at one point and he's talking and, and saying, hey, 
You took my power from me. You can give it back when he's talking to, you know, Jamon Hansu's character. Plus, can we talk about the fact that there's friggin' dragons in this thing, that they're going to be fighting a dragon? I think that that alone, you know, kind of takes it up a notch already, right? So this just looks like it's going to be just as fun as the first one, but with higher stakes. But it doesn't play up the humor as much in this trailer as we've seen in the past. So I think what they're setting us up for is, yeah, it's still going to be fun. It's still Shazam, but stakes are higher. And part of that is because they've been heroes longer. You know, the, the, the more serious villains are starting to pop up. And, you know, that's what happens when you've been a hero for a little bit longer. You know, things get a little bit more serious. And how seriously are you going to be able to take them going forward? So it, will this be a goodbye letter for Shazam? I hope not. I hope we see more of this character going forward, but it looks like they're definitely going for something a little bit different with this second movie in Shazam Fury of the Gods. I think that I've been looking forward to this for a while, and this trailer doesn't really add or dissipate that at all. I've been looking forward to it anyway, and that's not going to change unless I mean, unless this trailer was a dumpster fire, which it wasn't. But, you know, seeing the dragon, the, the, the dragon fighting and seeing a little bit more dial up of the action in this particular trailer does make me feel like. You know, we're going to get a little bit more of a bang for our buck for this movie coming up. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the wonderful cast and creators of The Watchful Eye. Make sure you're watching that on January the 30th. Can't wait for that thing coming up on Freeform. And of course, make sure you follow us online, downandnerdypodcast.com. On social media as well, at downandnerdy757. On Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdypod. On TikTok, having a lot of fun with the TikTok videos that I'm doing. Also, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, if you still want to do that. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you're listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I know you love listening on our website, too. You know, you do you. But also, you know, make sure you're subscribing on your favorite podcast app as well. That really, really helps us out a lot. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.